0: Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a series called One, in which we are rediscovering the heart of God and learning that joining Jesus' mission
1: means sharing his heart for the One. Thanks for joining us. So, when I was a One, uh, before meeting Jesus, my life was very rooted in church, honestly. Um, We went every Sunday morning, Wednesday night, we volunteered at all the all the events, everything you could help out with. Um, it's just kind of what we did, um, who we were, and um, I would say that I'm very thankful to my parents and my grandparents and just my family that rooted that in me and planted those seeds in my life. And as I went to college and moved from place to place, I'd say that continued in my life. I tried to find a place to go to church, ways to ways I could volunteer if I could. Um, and I would even say major points in my life, like major life decisions that I saw God's hand in my life. But at the same time, I could say I was lost in all of that and it being about all of those, you would say, works and what we were doing. I would say I was extremely driven and motivated, uh, start a successful career, but a lot of my motivations came out of my own strength and my own wants, my own will, and what I thought the way things needed to be um, and I was still just longing in my heart for more of an understanding of what it, the relationship with God looked like. Um, I just didn't completely understand it. I didn't understand how there was more than the work that I was already doing. So after I had moved back from Washington DC I um, I guess what happened is what has always happened is what pointed me to Christ was that foundation that my parents had laid in my life, those seeds that they had planted, um, that we would go to church. So I set out to look for a church to go to. The first one I came to was Cherry Hills, um, and I actually felt drawn to go back there. Uh, It wasn't my original plan, but I went again, and on the third Sunday, uh, Pastor C was preaching and he spoke answering the question I guess I've been trying to answer myself is how do we gain that identity in Christ I mean, how do you actually become a Christian? And he explained it very visually to me which really helped and he said that mainly there was two answers to the question a lot of people and what I had done was started with the good works and out of those good works it just led to your identity as a good person, and being that good person, it somehow still connected you to God, and that's how I had flown. When all reality, um, the only way to gain that identity in Christ is to be saved and receive grace. So it started at the top, it should start with God, and then that leads to your identity and the Holy Spirit in your life, and out of that spirit, that leads you out of that heart to doing those good works and it was just at that moment that I realized that there's nothing that I could ever do I couldn't be successful enough or do all the go to enough church or enough events that would ever lead me any closer to God but it was just receiving that I had that day received the gift of grace and the verse that they had preached on was Ephesians 2 8 through 9 and I just that day I made that verse my. I took it personally, I guess, and would say that I have been saved by grace through faith, which is not of myself or anything I could ever do or plan or work, but was a gift that I've received from God, not by works so that I could never boast.
0: Well, what an awesome testimony and it goes directly into what we're gonna be talking about tonight or today, this morning, not tonight yet. I've been up for a while. Hey, ever since they added a camera to the front of a cell phone, there's been an explosion of pictures known as selfies. Let's see how this one turned out. Perfect. (laughs) Do you know that over 93 million selfies are posted on social media every single day? We love the selfie. Tragically, over the last 10 years or so, something has come about, though, known as death by selfie. Have any of you heard about this? People really wanting to get to a unique location. Sometimes it's dangerous climbing up a mountain or a cliff because they really want to get that shot. But tragically, they fall or they get hit by a car or something along those lines. I just read a story about that tragically last week. By focusing singularly on themselves, it can lead them to death. Now friends, there's something in all of our lives that has an extreme focus on ourselves that can also lead to death. It can lead to death in our relationships with others. It can lead to death in our own spiritual lives. It can lead to death with our relationship with God. That thing is called pride. Pride brings death into our lives. It brings death into our relationships. And this is why God says over and over and over again in scripture, he hates pride. For example, in Proverbs 8.13, we read these words. I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior, and perverse speech. All throughout the New Testament, we also hear how much God is opposed to pride. In 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we read these familiar words. God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Literally, pride puts us in opposition to God. I want to give you a visual with that. Think about getting in a boxing ring with God. He's in one corner, you're in the other corner, and when you have pride, you're basically saying, I'm gonna face off against God, I'm going to oppose God. Now ironically, we don't see pride as being that bad. I mean, be honest, if I stood up here and told you that I was having an affair, you would be appalled, and rightfully so. But if I stood up here and told you that I'm struggling with pride this week, you'd probably say, well, who hasn't? Don't we all? But listen, we can't diminish pride. Pride is a big deal, because if you're following on your notes with me this morning, pride can keep us from knowing God's heart. Pride can keep us from knowing God's heart. Now, this is important, because as a reminder of where we've been in this series called One, Rediscovering the Heart of God, in this series, we're learning that joining Jesus' mission, which is our vision here at Cherry Hills, means sharing his heart for the one, or for those who don't yet know Jesus. Jesus. And for the past three weeks, we've been looking at one chapter in the Bible, Luke chapter 15, about this very thing, about God's heart for the one. And as a reminder, in the very beginning of chapter 15, Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders, to the teachers of the law, to the Pharisees who are looking at his life, Jesus hanging out with these pimps and these prostitutes and these other sinners, and they're saying to him basically, why are you hanging out with all those lost people? Why are you hanging out with all those bad people? If you really are who you say you are, you would know that God wants nothing to do with them. Their behavior keeps them from God. In response, Jesus tells three stories or parables in Luke 15 showing us they didn't really know the heart of God. Through the parables of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the younger son, Jesus shows the Pharisees that the father's heart is towards those sinners. His heart is a heart of love. He doesn't reject them like the Pharisees reject them. In fact, he welcomes them to come to him. Even the worst behavior cannot stop God from loving a person. We saw that in the most incredible way last week when we talked about the younger son, sometimes known as the prodigal son, returning home to his father in disgrace. The father embarrasses himself, runs out to meet his son, welcomes him home, throws a party to end all parties. And that would have been a great way to end Luke 15. But Jesus has one more parable to tell these tax collectors and sinners. And at the end of Luke 15, he now turns to them and has this story for them. Now, a little context on the Pharisees the Pharisees were really, really good, they were good people. To be a Pharisee meant you had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. To be a Pharisee meant you were a professional rule keeper. You followed the commands of God to the extreme. So extreme, there was even one group of Pharisees known as the bleeding Pharisees. They tried to avoid lust so much, they covered their heads whenever they walked out in public. And of course, you can imagine, they started bumping into things. Hence, the bleeding Pharisees. These were the best of the best. The problem is, don't miss this, these Pharisees wrongly thought that God accepted them because of their good behavior. He rejected those sinners because of their bad behavior, but he accepted them because of their good behavior. But Jesus wants to show them, you too are missing God's heart. So let's return one more time to Luke 15 by looking at verses 25 through 32 together. Known as the story of the older son. It's really a continuation of last week's story. As we're going to see, if you're on your notes before we start, the older son is just as lost as his younger brother. So let's look at Luke 15, verse 25. So we just had this really good happy ending. And then it says, meanwhile... It's like in a movie. We watched a movie as a family last night. When you think the bad guy's dead, he's in the rubble. When all of a sudden, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older son, he's out in the field doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's working for the father. But on his way home from the field, he hears the DJ bumping, the music playing, the people laughing. And he brings a servant over and discovers that his father has extended mercy to his younger brother. Now, you don't have to have a Ph.D. in psychology to know this is the greatest day of the father's life. I know many parents in our church family who pray for something like this to happen with their children too, that they would return home to the father. And so no wonder the father kills the fattened calf. Now a little thing on the fattened calf. This could have fed probably 75 to 100 people. People didn't eat meat back in these days. It was a delicacy. And so for the father to kill the fattened calf and then invite the entire village to come over and celebrate would have been a day to remember for this town. But it was all expressing a simple fact. If you lose a son and he comes back to you, you rejoice. You rejoice. And that is what Luke 15 has been all about. When a lost daughter or son of God returns to him all Heaven rejoices, except for the older son. Look at his response in verse 28. In fact, let's read it out loud together on your notes there. It says, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. Rather than joining the party and rejoicing, we're told he becomes Angry. The Greek word here suggests this kind of boiling anger. Think of a really hot day and the sap boiling up out in a tree. He is furious, boiling with anger. And if you're following, he becomes angry because he doesn't share the father's heart. Don't miss this. Even though he's been with the father the whole time, he doesn't truly share his heart. But I also want you to notice this same father who ran out to meet that prodigal son comes out of this house of celebration and feasting. And he comes to his other son, pleading with him, literally begging with him to celebrate. How gracious and compassionate is our father, even in our pride. Look at verse 29. But he answered his father, look. I mean, can you just picture that? All these years I've been slaving for you. Don't miss the irony there of the language he uses. Not a son, he's a slave in his own mind. Kind of the opposite of the younger brother. I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. In other words, I've lived life according to the book. I've worked and worked and worked for you and you've never given me a lousy old goat for a barbecue with my buddies. This isn't fair. Friends, let me just pause here and sadly admit to you I used to sympathize with the older brother. Can any of you admit to that as well? Because it's not fair. The younger son does not deserve this incredible outpouring of love, but what we need to understand is neither did he. He feels he deserves to be treated better than anybody else, especially these lowlifes like his younger brother. What the older brother is essentially saying is I don't love you for who you are. I love you for what you can do for me. This is a great definition of religion. And it's what results when we are full of pride. If you're following on your notes there, in our pride, we think we deserve God's favor. Excuse me. We think we deserve God's favor. And other people don't. Especially bad people, like this younger brother. Religion says by being good, listen, God owes me. Bad people don't deserve good things. Good people deserve good things. I can relate to this. Can't you? I can fall into this trap. This is how I lived earlier in my life. I still fall into the trap sometimes because you know what? It's so much easier to practice religion than it is to have a relationship with God. How does that happen? Well, over time in our faith journey, we start to see ourselves as good people. Because we've avoided all those sins of passion that the younger brother couldn't avoid. But all the while, what we're not seeing in our own hearts is these sins of attitude. Sins of pride and jealousy and criticism and judgmentalism. We call them just faults or shortcomings or things I need to work on. Definitely not sin, though. And so in our pride, we easily become angry, critical, judgmental, unloving towards others. I got to be honest with you. I'm seeing this more and more in the year 2020 within the church. A lot of anger, a lot of criticism, a lot of judgmentalism going on. I just experienced this a few days ago. I I don't usually do a lot of social media. I was on Twitter for something specific. But of course, if you're ever on social media, you get drawn into something else. And so I was drawn into one of those classic online arguments. And I can feel the anger and the pride growing in my heart as I'm reading some of this stuff. And I guess I just was stopped in the moment with the Spirit saying, I'm just as concerned about what's going on in your heart right now than what they're writing on Twitter. But those are the things I don't always notice. So listen, if you're falling on your notes again, the younger son was lost because of sins of passion. But the older son was lost because of sins of attitude. In fact, in many ways, he was even farther away than his younger brother, but he had not even left the farm. This isn't how it's supposed to work. Here's a very, very good son who's out in the field and he's still working. That's why he's out in the field. He's doing his job. He's working hard. He obeys his father. He knows the Ten Commandments. He's religious. He's spiritual. He reads the Bible. If the younger son is a very bad guy, this is a very good guy. But what Jesus says is that they're both alienated from the heart of God. But in his love... And you remember who he's speaking to here, right? The Pharisees, the people who will one day kill him. In his love, the father still goes out to each one of them. He comes out to the younger brother, says, please come in. My son, you're not my slave, you're my son. He comes out to the older son and says, please come in. Understand that you're still lost because you don't realize the gift that is right in front of you. It's not what I can give you. If you're following on your notes, the greatest gift we can receive is the Father. As soon as we think we deserve something more than that, we are moving into elder brotherness. I know that's not a word, but I think you get it. As soon as we think we deserve more than the gift of a relationship with the Father, we're moving into dangerous territory. We see this in verse 30. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. I love that. This son of yours, not my brother. Now, why does he say that? Well, because he wants to show just how bad his younger son has been. Has this ever happened to you? If you have kids, this is always happening to you. I remember I was, when I was young, I'm 10 years younger than my older brother. I would get in trouble. You know exactly what I would do? He made me do it. It's his fault. But what about him? He was worse than me in this situation. We all have that tendency. The older brother, this is where the older son is, right? It doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. What about him? What about him? What about him? I mean, you know what? It isn't fair. It isn't fair. The prodigal son does not get what he deserves, but the older son missed something all these years. Neither does he. He gets to be with the father. And that is the gift. Friends, the older brother is a warning to us. If you're following, he's a slave to religion and has no room for grace. And when you have no room for grace, you do not know the father's heart. Can that ever happen to us? Yeah, it's pretty easy to move my heart away from grace and love and move it more towards deserving or judgmentalism. Jesus' warning to the Pharisees and his warning to us still today is, that is not my heart. And I want you to share my heart. Now read verses 31 and 32 out loud on your notes. So this is the climax of the text. It says, "'My son,' the father said, "'you are always with me, "'and everything I have is yours. "'But we had to celebrate and be glad. "'Because this brother of yours was dead "'and is alive again. "'He was lost and is found.'" He goes out and says, my son, not my slave, my son. And the Greek word there is technon. It's a very tender word, child. Now, he's not angry with them. He's not furious with them. He should be. I know I would be. But he goes on and he says, my child, my son, you've always been with me. You've always been welcome to spend time with me, to celebrate with me. Get rid of your bitterness. Get rid of your anger. Get rid of your pride. Join the party. My son is home. Your brother is home. I want you there too. Because I have the same heart for you as I do for him. I offer you the same thing. I offer you me. Come in. And in verse 33, we read, oh, wait. There is no verse 33. We never actually get to hear what the older son decides. Does he join the party? Or does he remain outside, cold-hearted and joyless? We're not told. Why not? Because Jesus is a master storyteller. Jesus is making a point. He's talking to the Pharisees who share the same heart as this older brother, believing it's all their good behavior that brings them to God. And bad behavior keeps people from God. But Jesus challenges them with tremendous love here. Just notice how compassionate he is here. He says, don't you know it's that very belief that is keeping you from God? Believing it's about your behavior misses the heart of God. And so if you're following in love, the father begs, don't let your pride keep you from me. Jesus ends this incredible story with the younger brother, the bad boy, being saved, and the good boy, remaining lost. Of course, he's not saying that being a younger brother is a good thing. Spending all your money on roulette wheels and prostitutes and all those sins of passion. Of course not. What he is saying, though, is in the end, bad boys, younger brothers, realize they're lost. And they need help. Scaringly, sometimes older brothers don't even know we're lost. Somebody says... Uh, you're lost. You don't know the Father. They might say, "Are you kidding me? I go to church every Sunday, part of a life group. I tithe. I read the Bible, etc., etc., etc." But is that? Are you doing those things out of duty? Are you doing those things to manipulate God? or Are you doing them because you share God's heart? I love how one author says, "Gospel believing Christians obey God just to get God." Let me say that again. Gospel-believing Christians, good news-believing Christians obey God just because they want to get God. They love God, not to control God, manipulate God, prove themselves to God, but to love him because to obey is to love. Friends, I think Jesus ends the story this way because he he wants to leave us with this question, if you're on your notes. What kind of God do I believe in? I mean, you're sitting here right now. Some of you have been at church your whole life. What kind of God do you really believe in? Is it the God of the prodigal son, a God of love? Or is it the taskmaster God of religion who operates solely on a you-get-what-you-deserve basis, so get to work? The Pharisees believed in the second, and this story is really for them and for those of us who relate to them. I raise my hand. What Jesus wants them to know is that nobody's righteous, not even them, and here's why. Our hearts are always gonna lead us astray. We may not do all those bad actions like the younger brother, but inside of my heart, I know there is pride. I know there is self-righteousness. I know there is anger. I know there is criticism. I know there is judgmentalism. I am just as far away from God as the younger brother, and it is by grace alone that we can know the Father. I love how Tim Keller says, I have this up on the screen. This means that Jesus' message, which is the gospel, is a completely different spirituality. This gospel of Jesus is not religion or irreligion, morality or immorality, moralism or relativism, conservatism or liberalism, nor is it something halfway along the spectrum between the two poles. It is something else altogether. In its view, the gospel, everyone is wrong, everyone is loved, and everyone is called to recognize this and change. Amen. That word change is the same word for repent. Just changing our mind about God, about ourselves. The younger brother repented and he was received by the father. The older brother, well, we just don't know. As we bring this home, I just want to say to those of us who relate to the older brother, God has some words for us in this parable, some good words, some good news. In the parable, the father doesn't rush out to the older brother and say, would you get your act together already? That's the voice some of you hear. That is not the voice of the father. Now he came out to the brother and he tenderly pleaded with him. If you can relate to the older brother, then here's two things I think the father wants us to know. Number one, the father says to us, I value our relationship more than your work. Do you need to hear that today? That's what Catherine heard as we saw in the testimony and it changed her whole life. Do you need to hear that today? The Father said, you have always been with me. He's saying, it's not your work I cherish, it's you. Mr. or Mrs. Pharisee, God doesn't want your service as much as he wants you. That's his heart. Remember the story of Mary and Martha? Martha is slaving away in the kitchen while Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha becomes really angry. Remember that word? Maybe like older sister syndrome, I don't know. Jesus said Mary actually chose the one thing that could never be taken away from her, though a relationship with Him. Some Christians work so hard they've substituted their work for true worship. But what if all the Father wants for us is really a relationship? What if He wants to spend time with you more than you could ever dream or imagine? I mean, I think about it this way. When I was young, of course, my, my dad would ask me to do things and I would try to obey and do the right thing. But what I really wanted for my dad was not directions or more things for me to do. What I really wanted was to spend time with my dad, to be loved by my dad. And what if that's how your heavenly dad feels about you? Stop doing so much to try to prove yourself to me. There's nothing more you can do. Stop and spend time with me because that is my heart. Heart. The second thing we need to hear from the Father's heart this morning is the Father wants everyone to join him at his party. For a long time I missed what verse 32 was really saying. I studied multiple versions this week, and I think I finally understand what the father is actually saying in verse 32 is son, you and I have to celebrate. This verb is imperative, like there's no choice. He's saying it's not your younger brother's party. Get over it. It's my party. This is my party. I'm the one who's celebrating because my son who was dead is now alive again. So you've got to join me, not for your brother's sake, but for my sake. This party wasn't for the prodigal son. It's for the loving father, and he wants everyone to be here. This right here is what we have to understand when it comes to sharing our faith with others, which is what this series is really about. Has that become a duty or an obligation for you? If it has, it's probably more about you than it is the Father. As followers of Jesus who have received the gift of the Father, we want to send out the same invitation to others because we don't want anybody to miss this party. There ain't no party like this party. But maybe this is why the statistics show after two years of following Jesus, our evangelism slope just goes... Because it becomes a duty. It becomes an obligation. It becomes something that we have to do as opposed to something we get to do. So as we close today, I think we're going to have to spend just a few moments examining ourselves. We've spent the last five weeks rediscovering God's heart together. His heart for us and his heart for the lost. Next week, we'll close out this series with Brian's going to talk about some practical things. And maybe you're tired of this series. Maybe you're tired of hearing all this. I know I can easily fall into the temptation. But gosh, I just realize every time I read this story, how much my heart can become like the older brother's heart and lose my heart for lost people. And when this happens, Jesus says you've lost your heart for the Father as well. But one of the main purposes of this passage is to say, if you're on your notes... As his children will share the Father's heart with all people, for all people. You're gonna love the broken, the immoral, the younger brothers. You won't be creeped out on people, look down on people. You won't look at anybody and ever say, Get your act together. Then maybe you can come to God. Or, You don't deserve this. (laughs) Never will we say that because we know at one time I was lost and I was found. Again, as Tim Keller says, this is the good news of Jesus. By faith in Christ, none of us get what we deserve. In Jesus, we get life, not death. We get mercy, not justice. We get freedom, not slavery. We get love, not judgment. We get the party, not the pigsty. We get the father, not dead religion. And if that's true, we are called to be engaged in the lives of broken people all around us in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our gyms. It means we don't just give money to charities, though that's important. It means we give our lives to build relationships with people, even people we might not think deserve it. This has been a growing edge for me in my life. I'm just being honest with you. But I'm starting to see, slowly but surely, it's really just about forming relationships with people and loving them and caring for them, sharing the heart of the Father with them. But as I close, here's the question I think we need to ask ourselves today. There's sometimes times when we just need to examine our hearts. And here's the question I want to ask you. Is pride keeping me from sharing the Father's heart with others? Can you say your heart is aligned with the Father when it comes to people? That more than anything else, you want all people to join you with the Father in his party. If not, then it's time for us to change, to repent. Now remember, repentance isn't the Father saying, get your act together. It's an invitation to say, realign your heart with mine. So let's spend some time doing that very thing right now together. Would you bow your heads as I pray? Father, we thank you for the invitation, even right now, that you invite us to come to your throne, to pray to you, to say, Abba, Father. Together, we wanna confess to you that every one of us in this room can fall into the trap of the older brother. It's so easy to justify ourselves through what we do instead of letting Jesus Christ alone justify us. We confess at times we lose our heart, your heart, for others. That we place ourselves above others, that we think we deserve things that other people don't deserve. We repent of our pride and we ask you to change our hearts today. But father, we don't want to end there. We also want to continue to pray for people you've put in our path. People who don't know you, people who we want to see at the party. We pray for them by right, by name right now together as a church family. Give us the courage to reach out, to engage in relationship. Help this not to become a duty or obligation, but a joy. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Thanks for joining us today.
0: If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.